0: AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track.
1: Michael, I hear you have a story about a new acronym. To me, B E C.
0: Yes, that's right. Uh, so B E C, kind of like I O C, indicator of compromise, business uh, email compromise. Hmm. And I was going to share that uh, there were multiple BECs that uh, i noticed uh, people talking about and uh, there's some common themes in those uh, those attacks and in what played out and what happened and i think you know um, it's good just to discuss them and think about how you, what you can do to prevent this from happening to you um, so the first uh, business email compromise was actually a government office a county government and uh, they were building a new high school in their county And unfortunately, uh, someone had access to their systems, access to their mail, and was able to convince them to transfer the funds for the new high school to their account. And for three weeks, they didn't realize that anything was up, uh, until the real contractor who was building the high school said, uh, we need some of the money to get started on this. And that's when they figured out that they had given the $1.7 million to the fraudster, the attacker who was in their system. So um, a very bad situation. Uh, That phone call is what tipped them off. And I think right away, I think, well, it would be really good to either meet in person or have a phone call like as you're transferring the money, right? On the same day that you're transferring the money, uh, so that you notice at least right away. Uh, But the other BEC um, was against two different colleges in the US, uh, same attacker. And uh, what he did is, is he found where they were paying off one of their suppliers. In this case, he, he, they were buying computers from Dell. So he found out wh- where they were paying them and he was able to get them to change the routing number for when they were making these payments, these computers they were buying, to his Wells Fargo bank account instead of actually paying uh, Dell. Uh, and That attacker, good news on that attacker, was arrested. <laughs> and they were able to get uh, quite a bit of the money back. First one, they were able to get recover like half of the funds. Um, and then the, the second example, they were able to recover I think, most of the funds and were actually arrested the person who was carrying this out. Um, but I, I think it's really important uh, to think about, we always think about multi-factor authentication it's almost like you should be doing multi-factor on your life, right? Is that really who I think it is? Should I call them? And then after I like, send money, should I verify somehow online or talking to the person uh, that the right person got the money?
1: So this wasn't injecting malware or anything. It was just somebody using a phishing address or lo- looking like they were coming from a different company.
0: Well it I th- was I think in both cases they spearfish someone yeah, first. Yeah. then they're on somebody's machine and then they're watching them do stuff, you know their files, their email and they know enough information that then I can send a message to them and it looks like I'm really the contractor.
2: So business email compromise is effectively uh, a type of spear phishing. Oftentimes, um, the attacker will target uh, specific people uh, that have accounts payable responsibilities and look to work a pre-existing relationship. If they know you've purchased something or you have some known suppliers or published on your website and they know what kind of format that those suppliers communicate with you in, they're just going to leverage those known repeatable billing formats and request that you make a payment to a different um, routing number. Uh, This is particularly common uh, in cases where they might claim as a supplier or a vendor that maybe they've had a security breach, and that as a result, they've had to change their bank routing information and then ask you to please update your records so that the payments flow to their new account. Uh, We've had multiple accounts um, call us um, from a consulting perspective that fell victim to just those um, types of scenarios. Oftentimes, really what has to happen here is that there needs to be an education and a validation process. So anyone who has the authority uh, to make those kinds of payments really needs to be educated about this issue, and there needs to be a process in place whereby any such requests are verified through known good methods. So, don't click the link that's in the email that you got, for example. You really need to call your vendor or your supplier, um, call um, your CFO if you got a message from the CFO while he's on vacation uh, about um, transferring money for earnest payment for a sudden merger and acquisition opportunity, that there's a method by which you go through to validate that. Um, that way you're not falling victim to these types of scams.
1: Yep.
0: Uh, because they probably can collect enough information about you uh, on social media and on the Internet, on who you know, who you're connected to. Uh, and they can pretend to be that person.
1: And maybe we should make the governments, these local governments, maybe are not as sophisticated as they need to be, really. Because we do hear about this a lot in school systems and in in county governments where... You know, they're just I don't I don't know that they've all adopted strict security practices yet.
2: And if you do fall victim to these types of scams, as soon as you find out, call your bank. Um, Your bank is going to be really your best bet uh, to try and recover that money and get as much of that revenue back as as possible. Um, So the sooner you detect it, the sooner you find out and notify your bank, the better the chance that they're going to be able to get back some portion of the monies that were transferred.
1: Sometimes you can look at actually a link of where the email is coming from, and sometimes that can give you a hint that it's coming from something that wasn't the email of what you're used to from a particular supplier.
0: Yeah, the thing that I would recommend is if you think of multi-factor authentication, um, whenever you're um, conversing over email, email's probably not enough. You probably need to add some other factors. You need to think about maybe meeting with that supplier in person or giving them a phone call as another, you know, factor just to ensure that it's really them, because as you know, somebody in email might not be who you think they are.
2: Speaking of IoT vulnerabilities, uh, Karen, I understand you had a story about some vul- vulnerabilities in uh, video cameras.
1: Yeah, I think maybe we should call this issue something about terror in the home or something if we really wanted to scare people. But this was about researchers who actually inserted themselves and created man in the middle um, attacks using your security cameras in your home. Again, they were looking at some of them that they were using some very weak protocols uh, like Telnet or FTP that clearly weren't necessary. Um, and. Uh, they were also using unencrypted RTP when they could have used, again, as we've just talked about in the last story you know and you can insert better security protocols Um, and so what they did was is they used ARP poisoning they got in the middle and um, they actually inserted um, themselves in the middle of the screen in in the middle of the camera streams so in one case they actually did a DDoS attack from inside so they stopped the ability for the Um, actual filming to go to the server so that basically it just shut it off and then in another case which I thought was really smart they actually took a different stream that they had created and they inserted that stream so if they were accessing your home before they could just kind of repeat what they had seen before normal activity in your home and while somebody else was in your home potentially burglaring or doing whatever they were doing um, they could just kind of repeat the the, uh, the file that had already been there and then put it back in.
2: Yeah, these kinds of cameras really aren't just used in home security. These are used in enterprise security, casinos, banks, other types of facilities uh, where they need to do um, video surveillance of customers in secured or high-risk areas.
1: Yeah, of course. I, you know, they were using ones that were pretty simple that were in your house. But exactly so. They, certainly, these are all over, right? These are in banks. They could cover up a burglary. They could be in just a regular company. They could be out in the streets. Um, you know, just all kinds of places where, um, again, uh, and and the one of the big issues that they pointed out here was again people who hadn't updated their their credentials. That whatever it was, you know, the password was admin or whatever the one out of the box was. And it was very easy to get access to the system. And then as we go from there. So, you know, one of the lessons that I think we say on ThreadTrack all the time is, Please change your password, even if it's not the most secure, just as long as it's not the not one the that's in the box. Um, you know, And that was the beginning, again, of this. Uh, it was this, was that many, many, many of these devices, people plug them in, they turn them on, and they, they never go back in and change the passwords. So that was the beginning of this downhill slide um, that these researchers found. So.
0: One of the things I thought was interesting is that um, I remember on the movies where they take like the shaving cream and put it on the <laughs> camera lens, right. but it sounded like just a bunch of packets or data, a storm of data was enough to create that same uh, yeah. effect without actually having to be at the property, which is interesting. And then the whole looping of the, the okay video, that's a classic one you've seen played over and over again. Yes, many
1: times. Yes, it was right out of the movies. (laughs) It really was. And uh, that everything would would look okay. And uh, they were stealing all of your jewels. So, uh, you know, the jewelry store, you said, it's not just somebody's home, but uh, jewelry stores, banks, uh, that um, although we now know that you can steal money much easier than breaking into a bank so uh, but and again, this are again this concern that we all have about these IOT devices and how he, keeping ourselves and uh, our institutions secure.
0: Another interesting thing is how interested researchers and attackers are in taking advantage of security things <laughs> like cameras and door locks and things that are for your security, it seems like they almost get like a bigger kick out of it when they are able to make one of those things do what you didn't intend for them to do.
2: And yeah, this really points to the need for a layered security model, um, really uh, across the enterprise, you know, both in the um, physical space as well as, you know, the cyberspace. Uh, making sure that you have secondary and tertiary controls in place so that if one control fails, um, that you have other ways to detect uh, wrongdoing or trespass, you know, that's really strongly recommended, especially since over time, um, there can be vulnerabilities identified in any number of platforms um, that may or may not get um, patched or remediated in a you know, timely manner by the vendor.
0: We got a long ways to go when it comes to keeping those devices up to date and um, closing all the securities of all the products that have been shipping over the years. Um, unfortunately, a lot of more security products that uh, have shipped out and are being installed with weaknesses. So Michael, when I retire for the evening, I always check that do- deadbolt, make sure that it's it's, clo- it's uh, bolted. Um, and then I feel like I can just rest easy and not worry about a thing. But you're going to tell me that if I upgrade to a smart deadbolt, uh, it might not be as simple as just resting easy.
2: Some security researchers were taking a look at uh, Bluetooth-enabled door locks, and they found uh, a number of vulnerabilities in a particular model, uh, the Hickory Smart Bluetooth-enabled deadbolt. Um, they found about a half a dozen vulnerabilities in this particular, um, you know, enabled uh, I- IoT-enabled deadbolt, um, several of which would allow for a uh, remote attacker, an unauthorized individual, to actually be able to unlock. Uh, The door and gain access uh, to the
0: residence if you have one and somebody's able to get into it You're gonna say that wasn't the smart deadbolt that I thought it was
2: and this is largely driven by the mobile application Which is provided for free with the lock itself. Uh, This affects both iOS and Android uh, based versions of the application and would allow an attacker who gained access to your cellular device to be able to recover the credentials in clear text that allowed them to then unlock the door. So because of this need to access your mobile device, these are considered medium risk issues. Uh, However, they can have very significant impacts if someone were to uh, actually break into your house. Uh, The third issue that would allow them to do this is that uh, on the um, Android side, they left uh, a debugging function enabled. So anybody who actually had access Uh, to the device running the application could actually, or anyone who you delegated to even temporary access to, uh, unlock the door with an application installed on their mobile device uh, would be able to look in the uh, log artifacts of that debug process and recover the credentials uh, required to open the door and be able to then use those um, going forward in the future to unlock the door at any point in time. What's interesting about um, this particular vulnerability is that it spills over into that you know cyber-physical realm, right, where um, there can be some very significant real-world impacts associated with the failure of this you know IoT-enabled device. Um, specifically, you know insurance and insurance claims could be a problem. Most insurance claims or insurance policies won't pay out if there's no clear sign of forced entry into a home, right? Um, So if the law law enforcement and your insurance adjusters can't see evidence that somebody physically broke into your home uh, and stole X amount of property, they may end up simply denying your claim because there's lack of evidence of actual forced entry for the theft.
0: Yeah, I think uh, there's some parallels too. there's been some attacks where you can ask a machine to give you its credentials or ask the browser to give you stored credentials, and sometimes it'll serve them up. And it sounds like, in this case, that cryptographic key, it would just give it to you if you asked for it. Um, and then um, the other thing is debug. Anytime debug's open, you know we're in for trouble, right? Because you get a lot of rights if that debug's access is open, right, on anything.
2: Uh, so, really, Um, You know, this is very concerning. And when you start looking at these IoT devices, this isn't the first um, such issue that has been identified. There have been a number of other locks on the market over the past year uh, that have had similar critical issues identified um, as well.
1: I think they could probably, if they were interested, they could do an auto-update all to all their devices. But I think you're bringing up a good point that a lot of these small companies that are building these systems really don't want to – continually be doing this. They don't want to be in constantly patching and updating. They want to sell more product, different product, and they probably don't have a big security department that's worrying about these, what they would consider very small vulnerabilities, I'm sure from their perspective.
2: From a protection perspective, uh, really there's a number of things you can do, even though um, the vendor in question has neither acknowledged nor provided uh, patches for these uh, related issues today. So really this is going to revolve around uh, securing your mobile device, making sure that that's got you know, a strong pin um, or you know, other type of security mechanism or control applied to it so that people can't easily access the device if it's lost or stolen uh, and to make sure that you're able to you know, remotely wipe the device in the event that that were to occur as well.
0: Yeah, it kind of makes sense to me that you want to have the registration, the initial registration, you want to have that pretty solid. Uh, And then once it's registered, it's almost like locking your credit score. You know, like, okay, that's it. I got all the devices I want to open this. Um, And then unless you did like a factory reset, it should stay in that more hardened uh, state and not allow just promiscuous Bluetooth access from other devices.
1: In this case, the possible exploits were only available to a perpetrator if they actually got access to the phone. So I think in this case, uh, we have to be really careful to not share information from our phone, um, not allow um, anyone to have access to information uh, that's in our phone, uh, unless you're really sure about those people.
0: The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent
1: the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.